New Books in Economics, brought to you by EAEPE, the European Association for Evolutionary Political Economy. Welcome to this new episode of New Books in Economics. I am your host, Ander Bernardi, from Oxford Brookes University, and I'm today exactly in Oxford because the author of this book that I'm presenting today is here to give a seminar, to give a paper exactly on the topic of the book. Uh, the author is Pasquale Tridico, which is Professor of Political Economy at Roma 3 University in Italy, and the book, which has just been published by Routledge in 2017, is titled Inequality in Financial Capitalism. Welcome, Pasquale. Welcome. Um, well, um, let's go through the index of this book. Uh, there is part one, definitions, approaches and origins of income inequality. Part two, financialization and financial crisis, policies and empirical evidences. And then uh, we have some conclusions. Um, and by the way, today we also celebrate that uh, a paper on the same topic has just been published by Cambridge Journal of, Cambridge Journal of Economics. So the paper is now now published and the title is uh, Determinants of Income Inequality. Yeah, in OECD countries. In OECD countries. Mm-hmm. OECD countries is also more or less the basis, uh, the, uh, the data set of, of this exactly, book. Exactly, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, first of all, let's start with your background, your current affiliation and your background, if you can introduce yourself. Yeah, thank you, Andrea, for, for this interview. I'm very honored. So the... I'm professor of uh, political economy, professor of labor economics in particular. My, my, my specialization is more on, on labor economics. And uh, I am Jean Monnet chair uh, in uh, economic growth and welfare systems. Uh, so uh, my research interests focus on um, inequality, on labor economies, on labor market in advanced economies. And uh, I try to understand uh, in this book and in general in my r- recent research work the connection between labor market institution and uh, inequality and economic growth as well. Uh, please, can you tell us, I know that uh, your work has always been uh, around a series of topics that naturally converge to this book, but uh, can you tell us the origin of the book? Yes, uh, well, I've been working on uh, inequality and on the f- foundation of inequality in the past, let's say, mm, since uh, since uh, 2010, since I got this uh, wonderful period of uh, as a Fulbright scholar in the United States, so in New York. From that time on, I was uh, uh, I was uh, curious and I was intrigued by the connection uh, between uh, inequality and, and the crisis. Yeah. Uh, so I uh, started to think about the uh, origin of the crisis to be found in the income distribution and therefore in the institution at the basis of income distribution. And one of the most important institutions which uh, regulate income distribution you can find in the labor market in the end. So institution labor in, of the labor market. So uh, since then, 2010, uh, since this Fulbright, uh, I was um, writing papers uh, co- trying to, to explain the connection between labor market inequality and the crisis. And then I thought that I should do something more, something more overwhelming. Unfortunately, when you write a paper, more often for, for, for the needs that we know about uh, how to publish a paper, they need a short paper, they need just one idea. They, but this issue is a very complex issue. The issue of inequalities uh, cannot be explained with a single 
univocal relation. You know, inequality is connected with financial crisis. Yes, of course, but and probably is causing financial crisis. But financial crisis as well is causing inequality. So even this bidirectional relation, you cannot even explore it just in one single paper because... Uh, As we know, you have to explore one direction or causality and then you... you, you. So the book, in fact, allows you to, to elaborate more, to, to write more things, even to speak about European Union. The second part, which is, uh, as you said, more empirically founded evidence and so on, gives you opportunity to speak about uh, policy in Europe, the crisis of Eurozone, which is connected to some extent to uneven development, more in general, broadly speaking. And you can find connection with Uh, inequality as well, and with the institution of the labor market, which uh, is one of the main arguments, in fact, in the thesis throughout the book. Well, there is a lot to discuss, and I definitely want to go to the crisis and to your policy recommendations and to the nature of uh, the OECD countries, but maybe in particular to the Italian case. Uh, but first, I forgot to uh, tell our listeners that uh, you are the Secretary General of EIEP, which is the European Association of Evolutionary Political Economy, which is the second largest society of uh, economists in Europe and the progressive and pluralist one. Uh, and by the way, this association is also uh, the sponsor of, of this uh, series of uh, new books in economics. Yeah, uh, okay, yeah, of course, this is, uh, uh, probably this is my, um, my, what I like more about my profile, to be, to, to, it's an honor and it's a duty uh, and it's a privilege for me to be uh, the general secretary, elected general secretary of the, of the association, the European Association for Evolution Political Economy. Most of my paper I developed within the conference, uh, at the conference, or uh, at the annual conference of EP. So I was uh, lucky to get wonderful comments from colleagues at this conference uh, in Manchester, in, uh, in, uh, in Genoa, in, uh, in Budapest recently, uh, and then before uh, in, uh, in Krakow, in Vienna. So this conference, uh, in the last years in particular, when I was working on inequality, were the, the wonderful outlet, the wonderful places where I could present my book, uh, my, my papers, and... Um, receiving wonderful feedback. I remember from one colleague uh, in particular, we were in Nicosia. Uh, I think in Nicosia I got, uh, I got the, the key, uh, the, the, the key uh, of the argument and the link between inequality and how inequality affect, uh, sorry, uh, the link between inequality and labor market and how labor market institutions affect the adjustment uh, during the crisis in order to allow for a reduction of labor share, which then affect the aggregate demand. So I remember that these things were much more clear to me in a, in a, in a, in a panel, in a session in Nicosia, where I, I discussed these things with many colleagues. Uh, I could even mention some of them, but uh, many, uh, many uh, are uh, open to this alternative explanation, which are not claiming, for instance, as uh, mainstream economics usually does, that inequality either is irrelevant, so it's not uh, important, or sometimes it's even functional to grow. So if there is inequality in the society, this uh, is good because uh, it can lead to uh, higher incentive and better economic growth for, for countries. So, well, I definitely agree with you that uh, the labor market is crucial in determining inequality, probably second only to the fiscal uh, system in, in, in a country or probably as important as the fiscal system. Um, I, I wanted to 
ask you uh, how about uh, well in fact uh, i forgot to say that we are even co-authoring a paper on inequality and i work on organization studies because now even in management and organization studies uh, there is uh, an emphasis on uh, going back to to study inequality so this trend not only among economists but also among other social scientists uh, and definitely it is a hot topic in eip conferences but also in even in our management conferences it is a place are places where you often find papers, if not the entire tracks devoted to, to inequality. Okay, so we know where the books come from, uh, we know what are the ambitions, the goals. Uh, let's uh, say uh, something about the data set and the, the data that uh, you have used on, uh, um, on your model, but also what are the main ideas behind okay. this, this book? Okay, yes, okay, I will start about the main ideas and going to the data, yeah? More than, of course, institution, labor market institution and reduction of the wage share uh, are, uh, are the, the cause, let's say, that then uh, lead to, to inequality. But I think there is something even before, even more important, Andrea, which is the, the ideological paradigm, the political economy paradigm, the economic model which allows for an, an increasing of inequality in today's economy. So the main idea, in fact, comes from that. Uh, and it is rooted in the fact that since the 80s, we had a new theoretical paradigm, a new a change, a shift from a, from a, a different socio-economic model, which did not allow for that increase of inequality, towards a new uh, economic paradigm where finance is the leading factor and where ideas, tolerance towards inequality become easier, meaning that today we are able uh, 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 in the society to tolerate higher level of inequality, first of all, and second, policy are free to, to, to I mean, are a factor, crucial factor which allows to inequality. I, I strongly believe that inequality is a matter of policy, it's a, mat it's a social choice, it's a matter of institution, it's a matter of the choices that government and state do uh, when they, 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 they speak about income distribution. So, the theoretical paradigm, which started in the 70s, uh, having uh, uh, finance as the leading factor, so the growth benefiting mostly the finance, uh, and uh, uh, was detrimental, in fact, for the, for the wage share, for the income distribution, allowed for an increasing of income inequality. In this context, the, what I call the financial capitalism emerged as the, the model to be feed. And now you can feed the model which is leading finance as a main factor through the increasing of rent, the increasing of dividend, the increasing of the profit share vis-a-vis -vis the, uh, the, the stagnation or the reduction of the wage share. So in this context, in this, uh, in this ideological context, which maturated, emerged between 70s and 80s, uh, we add policy which, uh, which then affect negatively the, 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 the income distribution, the increase of income inequality. Okay, well, uh, I, probably at this point I should uh, warn our listeners, maybe the non-specialists only need to be warned of this, that you might have different opinions on uh, the role of finance, you might have different opinions on how uh, labor markets should be regulated, and also you might even have different uh, opinions on the nature of inequality. Uh, so whether it is something acceptable to some extent, in particular if you are a developing country uh, or not, uh, and also, of course, there are different opinions on, uh, even on the nature of, on, on the trends of inequality. For example, not everybody agrees uh, that there is a, a univocal trend in inequality. For example, I might argue, uh, if I wanted to be the devil's advocate, that inequality 
Among countries, it is uh, probably in, uh, growing. This is true in developing countries, but also in the Western countries. While, at the same time, inequality between nations mm -hmm. has been mm -hmm. decreasing. Mm -hmm. So the difference between Europe and Asia, for example, is uh, a bit uh, narrowing, narrowing mm -hmm. down. You're right. Probably this is, I would probably agree on the second statement, not on the first, meaning that... Uh, But this uh, inequality between countries is decreasing, uh, but this is mostly due to some country, to some important big country, like uh, China, like India, like uh, this uh, BRIC, mostly BRIC uh, economy. So four, four or five countries in, in total, which, uh, which are growing more than the rest. Not, uh, and this is an important weight at the uh, world level, so that uh, inequality decreases. But let's come back to the nature of inequality, Andrea. The, You know, we are not speaking here about difference among wages due, for instance, to what we can call human capital. You know, there are there are some there are differences among uh, uh, among workers which are in a way functional to the to the good function which are good for the good function of the society. If you invest in human, if you go to school, if you go if you invest in human capital, it's correct in the end to have a higher premium and rewards in terms of wage, which would incentivate more. Otherwise. People will not study, ignorance will prevail, human capital will be uh, frustrated. So it's not this at the stake in my book. What, what is at the stake of my book? What is the, the inequality which is questioned is in fact the huge difference that today we are experiencing. Just to give you some numbers before you ask me about data and so on. How we can tolerate today that the, the 85 people in the world have an amount of uh, wealth which is roughly the amount of 3,5 billion people in the world. So half of population in the world have the same wealth of 85 people, the likes, the people like Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Carlos Limbs, and etc. Data from, from Oxfam, but as well from OECD, from, from World Bank, from, uh, from uh, standard uh, international organization testify this, uh, this huge difference. So, and, and what is the problem about this data? It's not only a moral issue. It's not only a problem of un social injustice. It's a problem of correct function and development and growth of the society. When a few people hand or uh, when few people have uh, such a big amount of, uh, of income, of wealth, and, and having these people, as Caldo already taught us, a very low marginal propensity to consume, they, what they do, in fact, is that they consume a small fraction of this, uh, of this income, and they save most of this uh, income. They save in, paradise, in, in, in fiscal paradise, if, in, in the worst case, or even in the, in the bank, in the corner bank in, in ordinary case, this, ma this money are not even going towards investment in order to become productive. Very often they remain in this paradise or they are invested in portfolio movement in the financial sector. Instead, if most of this wealth would be distributed among people who, according to Caldor, again, under this, uh, this uh, post-Kensian tradition, they have a marginal propensity to consume close to 1, 80%, 90%. One, I mean, how... If average worker in Europe earning 1,500-2,000 euro, what they do with what? They spend all what they have for living. So the marginal propensity to consume would boost the dynamics of the aggregate demand. And the aggregate of the, the dynamic of the aggregate demand would boost the dynamic of growth. Instead, in the in the in the we are we are in the in a trap with most of the resources which is a, which are amassed in a few ends and are not put in the system to to, to boost aggregate demand dynamics and growth. So this is a, an economic problem. Yeah, perfect. And and, and, and the economy should should be very I uh, perfectly so I, I have to say that this book clearly is not neutral 
neutral in terms of policy because you have your ideas, you have very, very strong ideas, so it's not neutral, but it's not ideological. So you don't have a moral argument for fighting against inequality. You have an economic argument, which is aggregate demand, as you said. But what I usually say to my students is that there is an efficiency argument in favor of inequality because if you don't have women in the labor market or if you discriminate or if you don't have social mobility, this is just not good in terms of efficiency of the markets. So there is a very, very even neoliberal argument for for the efficiency of market which should go towards equality and uh, mm -hmm. inclusion of women in the in the labor market yeah i i agree on that and um, you know for many decades we were living with the idea with the kutzness paradigm that inequality was uh, to some extent justified up to a some extent and then when countries were becoming richer this was functional to the growth and after they become richer they they they, they decrease inequality a sort of trickle down effect which was uh, then very much popularized by reagan and Thatcher administration later what we are experiencing today in fact is the opposite we are experiencing not a U-curve, we are experiencing an S-curve, meaning that inequality depends actually on what you do in terms of policy and institution. Look at the wage share in many advanced economies. You, you have to say something more about this Kutzner School to the listeners, maybe they are not familiar with it and they couldn't visualize it. Kutzner was, uh, was, uh, was uh, mostly predicting a, a path, a, like a, a reversed U, where you have uh, an increasing of... Uh, inequality in the first phase of development when countries become rich. Yeah. But this was exactly not happening when we were becoming industrialized, for instance, Italy, but all uh, continental European countries, even the United States, when they increased, the average income increased very much. Middle class was... Uh, was, was getting better and better. So inequality was not increasing during the first phase of development. What we, what we are experiencing today, in fact, instead, is that inequality increased since the 80s, since the end of 70s. So once uh, we already became richer, Italy became richer after the boom, the economic boom, for instance, Italy, but uh, I could say Germany, France, the UK. Uh, well, in the case of UK, of course, it's a bit different uh, uh, since uh, it, it was the first industrialized country. But uh, anyway, in the first phase of, in, uh, of, of, of uh, development, this is continental European country, become richer with lower inequality. Now they are richer. They are now that they are richer. Inequality is decreasing. Kutzner was uh, uh, was uh, was not saying that. Was saying that uh, inequality was increasing in the first phase, and then in, sec in the second phase, uh, they were distributing resources, and uh, inequality was decreasing. And we are not experiencing that. If you look at the wage share in many advanced economies, like Germany, like Canada, like France, like Japan, United States, or Ireland, Ireland is the worst case. Yeah. They, just before the crisis, just before the, 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 the 2007 crisis, this country, in particular Ireland, experienced a, a huge reduction of wage share. Ireland, as we all know today, was part of the so-called pigs, uh, as non good, I mean, as a bad country, uh, bad in terms of performance, who uh, had a very bad performance and then a very big crisis in 2007-8. And this is mostly due, I think, to the reduction of wage share that this country experienced. The case of Ireland is even more interesting for another, for another reason. Uh, which has to do with financial capitalism. What I argue is that uh, during uh, the, the decreasing of the wage share and the decreasing of wage in general, credit consumption was substituting aggregate demand. Yeah, was helping aggregate demand. Because in the end, in, the, in an economy, you need aggregate demand in order for the economy, in order for the firms to, to in order for the, for the demand to absorb what the firm produce. Now, 
In Ireland or in the UK or in the US, but in Ireland in particular, credit consumption was very developed just to compensate this reduction of wage share, which was decreasing very much before the crisis. And in fact, we had a country which was completely indebted from a private point of view. I'm speaking about private indebted, which I've considered much more worrying than the public debt. As far as there is a central bank behind the public debt and the government behind the public debt, This is not such a big issue. Look at the case of Japan or the case of the United States. Of course, it becomes an issue if you don't have a government, if you don't have a central bank. Anyway, this is a, another issue which, uh, which concerns the Europe and uh, probably we can speak about that later. But in the case of Ireland, the, the credit consumption which increases so much uh, 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 during the reduction of the wage share just to sustain the aggregate demand. And when the crisis occurred, liquidity shrink. Uh, availability of credit shrank uh, as well, decreased as well. So firms, uh, banks were less uh, keen to, 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 to lend money uh, during the crisis. So the, the, the crisis developed in all its uh, power, let's say. And uh, we could see that once uh, as well the credit consumption uh, was not any longer there, uh, the, the economy was stuck in a, in a stagnation, a recession, which was very strong. Yeah, so you talk in this book you talk about uh, finance and the shift... Uh, Uh, of the role of finance in our individual lives and in the society and also we might add in the behavior of firms as an element which represents the, the new paradigm which is no longer a Fordist paradigm where the salaries uh, grow with productivity and where there is an exchange between increase in productivity and increase in the salaries. It is no longer happening and uh, growth and the economy goes predominantly to finance And as a subset of this, uh, finance itself is trying to uh, support the aggregate demand. This is very clear throughout the book. Uh, I don't know, do you want to tell us about the, the variables that you use mm -hmm. to map yeah, yeah, what yeah, is yeah, happening? Yeah, yeah. In the end, I made, uh, I made um, uh, a model, I mean, a, a boring econometric model to, 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 to show some connection, some causality between the, the dependent variable, meaning the inequality, and the, the factor which caused it. So I have, uh, I have uh, some of, I mean, I, 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 in this model, basically, there are, in this model, there are uh, few variables. One is financialization, measured as a, as a, as a capital market value, meaning the price multiplied by the share of all the firms listed in the stock exchange in a given year. Uh, so the increasing of financialization in this way measured as a proxy, of course, has a negative impact on inequality. The APL, which is the, the index for, and the, and the temporary works, which is an, in, an, an indication for labor flexibility. So the higher the labor flexibility, the higher the, the temporary works, the lower, uh, the, sorry, the higher the, the, the temporary work, uh, the higher the inequality, and the higher the flexibility, the higher the inequality. So this is uh, another variable that I use in my, in my variable. Another important variable is the trade union density. So in the context of globalization and of financial capitalism, in fact, trade union really lost power. Uh, firms capital, in a way, won the battle against them. Against, uh, against labor in this, uh, in this context. We can see, we can observe our trade union density reduced very much, unionization reduced very much, and this affects negatively inequality. And last but not least, uh, social spending. So countries which resisted to this tendency in the end are the countries which invested more in welfare. So welfare is not a barrier to economic growth, but instead it's actually uh, good not only for, for reducing uh, inequality, but it's good as well to boost, to 
boost economic growth. So I think that these are the, the most important variables that I use. The, so from, from your economic model, can you argue which one is the most powerful? Either financialization, employment protection, legislation going down, trade union density or public social spending? Which one is the most powerful in explaining? Well, uh, I think that there is a strong interaction among all. Uh, I think uh, that uh, the, the, if I have to pick two, Basically, one is would be difficult, but the most important interaction goes for, between financialization and labor flexibility. I think that these two are the most important. Financialization because it gives most of the growth to the, to the financial class, which is the new patrimonial society in, the, in, in today's economy. And labor flexibility because it allows this adjustment of structure of, uh, of uh, needs of firms to, to the, to the, to the to, to the needs of the economy, to the shrinking of the working size. So basically there is a strong correlation between uh, uh, labor flexibility and financialization. Financialization needs labor flexibility in order to adjust to the change that uh, the firms need in, in a very quick, in a very, in a very efficient from the firm perspective way. But labor flexibility allows for a reduction of labor costs, allows for a compression of labor, allows for a reduction of wage share. So that's why these two variables are, I think, the, the, the most important variable which explain most of the growth in, uh, in uh, most of the growth inequality in the in in the modern in the past three decades at least. So labor flexibility and financialization. I don't know, maybe I shouldn't make this question because this would require a day of workshop to answer. But for example, if we talk about Italy, I don't believe that there is a very high financialization at the moment. I don't even believe that the employment protection legislation has really gone towards flexibility. I don't even believe that the trade union is so weak. And finally, clearly, we don't have a weak public social spend, spending. So why inequality is still high in Italy and growing? Well, inequality is uh, high in, it in Italy. It's not the highest. In the highest, you will find, for instance, uh, UK, you will find the US, you will find uh, Ireland, you will find uh, uh, Australia, you will find, um, sorry, not Aus yeah, Australia as well. Um, you would find Japan. So Italy is in a bid position. And differentialization is in a mid position. Inequality in Italy increased very much in the past 10 years, since 2000, since the end of 90s, so 15 years. In the same period, in fact, if you look at the delta of the, of the variation of labor flexibility, not at the, at the level, but at the variation, since 1997, as we all know, inequality uh, increased very much and labor flexibility increased very much. Then we had uh, two types of inequality, uh, two types of labor flexibility which was introduced in Italy in the past 15 years or more, 20 years uh, in a way, since the, the mid-90s. First, in, uh, labor flexibility in entrance, yeah? meaning that freedom of, uh, of firms to, to hire workers uh, in the way they wish, with one day contract, with uh, one year contract, with one month contract. And then in the last very reforms, in the, in the very last reform that we introduced in Italy, we had introduced as well flexibility in exit, meaning that uh, freedom to fire in a, in a much more easier way. So this combination of the two is very, is very dangerous is for, 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 for the power of trade union, for the reduction of wage share, because you adjust labor as you want. There, are, there is a, an economist in Italy, which I, esteem, uh, which I like very much, which uh, just uh, releases some measure about Italy. 70 billion per year are transferred uh, from, uh, from, from, from labor share to the capital share in the, in the last uh, 
three decades since uh, since the since yeah in the, since 1990 yeah so almost three decades so 70 billion per year are transferred so benefits are not going to the to, la to the labor income and this means that uh, the consistency of the consumption the consistency of the aggregate demand is very is very is very is very weak and moreover if these 70 million uh, billion sorry are not invested but are saving or going to abroad or are going somewhere else the impact the negative impact or even if just a small fraction of the 70 million is not becoming is not going back in the system but is going to somewhere else in saving the, the impact the negative impact of uh, on, ine on inequality and on growth sorry the negative impact on growth will be very very important today many, more and more economists are speaking about secular stagnation yeah this is again is at stake, not only inequality, but as well lack of growth we are experiencing because this model does not only causes the increase of inequality, but it allows as well the, 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 the lack of economic growth, the stagnation of GDP. And I think that this has to do with the excess of saving, but the excess of saving is a consequence of income going to the richer part of the society. As Caldor again taught us, if you, if you have excess of savings, it means that wages are too low. It means that richer are getting a huge amount of, of amount and they are saving what they, they get because the marginal propensity of, of richer in terms of saving, in the marginal propensity of saving of richer is much higher than, 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 than the worker, of course. So the secular stagnation, is, which, which may be a consequence of an excess of saving of investment, is, however, a consequence of this uneven income distribution. Okay. Okay. Um, now you mentioned the secular stagnation, and this uh, triggers my plan to ask you about the crisis, the financial crisis. So the secular stagnation is um, somehow what we are now assuming uh, as the norm after uh, our ten years of, of, of crisis. Although there are some positive uh, figures in Europe uh, in the past uh, 12 months in particular. Uh, so now, what is the relationship between this book, the crisis, and also the protest movements? For example, for several years we have been observing uh, the race and decline of the Occupy Wall Street movements. So is there a message from this book for people that have been complaining and protesting for the rise of inequality and for those that were hoping that the crisis would trigger um, everything of our capitalist model or our regulation of the market what is the, the message that this book brings mm -hmm. yeah uh, yeah very thank you for this question because uh, it, it it allows probably the discussion to become more political no uh, let's uh, let me ans let me allow to answer in this way for Decades, for many years, we thought that since uh, the, the dominant message was the Kutzen's curve, we thought that inequality was not a prob problem. Uh, probably was sometime even sometime good. The Occupy mov movement, which is uh, uh, which has to do as well with the increasing of conscience between people among people that inequality is too high and inequality is an issue as well for the economy. It's an important negative element of the economy. Uh, shows that in fact uh, tolerance of inequality among people is decreasing, meaning that we become more sensitive, we start to complain more. Uh, and, uh, and, and for a while, I thought that many books 
since the Piketty book, but as well before with Ankinson in particular, who was the pioneer of this, of this studies in income inequality. Uh, the message finally reached the people. With the financial crisis, people started to question that the crisis was not originated by the superficial subprime crisis which emerged after the Lehman and Brothers crisis in 2007, but was more structural. So it had to do with the income distribution. So people started to realize this more more occupy movement but as well protest parties in Italy in in in, uh, in Germany in Austria in UK I think that many in many countries this uh, protest movement or these parties had to do as well with the uneven income distribution within the society within advanced economy within the the wealth society of uh, of uh, the old time so uh, I think that there is a message here which is uh, uh, be aware of inequality because it is not only a social a social issue it is a detrimental economic issue for the growth for the development of a country yeah definitely this has been a hot topic you know not only among the protesters but also among many governments or at least many parliaments this has been debated many countries established commissions inquiry commissions on the matter uh, we tried also to to measure our gdp or to try to uh, give uh, to our governments different type of targets, different type of objectives, but not much has happened. Not even the book by Piketty, after all, has triggered very, very much. You're right. <laughs> this is uh, uh, unfortunate. It's, uh, it, it is like that. Uh, and uh, I will not, I, I don't know uh, what would be the answer to, 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 your, to, your mark, to your remark. So there was a protest, then uh, this protest did not, was not able to, to be transformed in political action, in policy, in institution, in change, in reversing policy. There were some, 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 uh, some uh, very uh, weak uh, change in some countries, but not enough to, to reverse the, the moment. I think that most of, uh, probably, I'm not a political science here, so I, I, I will just uh, make some intuition, some guess, but uh, not giving a definite definite answer uh, most of uh, the the let's say uh, the most of the ineffective policy have to do probably with the fact that in the same period that after the crisis uh, many advanced economy rich economy are experiencing another important issue yeah? which is migration I think that there was a confusion here. Yeah. There was a, a migration and terrorism. Yeah, uh, these two issues that often wrongly are put on the same side. So they are attracting the attention of many mm. governments in the last sure. years, uh, and in particular, some people even think that the emergence of this issue, migration and terrorism, uh, in a, this big dimension or, or probably in this uh, big number that we are observing today, uh, is uh, overwhelming. Is uh, taking the is. Uh, functionally taking uh, most of the attention of the government, which are not any longer dedicating attention as it used to be in 2007-8, just after the crisis with the Occupy movement and so on, are not any longer giving the, the proper attention that uh, this issue of inequality would deserve. Uh, this is true. This is perfectly true. So probably this would be... But in the end, uh, if what is migration? Migration is... Um, generated by, by inequality. Uh, uh, many studies show that uh, the Arab Spring was not only a political mm -hmm. demand of freedom, but was uh, generated by the level of uh, uh, inequality that in this country uh, there was. So people started not any longer to tolerate this inequality. And then civil war started everywhere. And then this country are living now in a, in a, in a, in a 
situation of crisis, of political trouble, of uh, civil war, and then the flow of migration mm-hmm. become as a consequence, as a natural consequence. So I think that uh, this may be an explanation of the fact that uh, today, uh, unfortunately, and uh, probably instrumentally, this uh, government not giving yeah, the yeah, yeah, proper yeah. attention. Well, uh, for example, uh, with respect to the, the hot topics changing, I remember when I was at school, an hot topic for solving uh, Italian economic problems, I remember it was, uh, many people were talking about vocational training, um, and then when I went to university, they shift, the, the emphasis shifted to uh, research as a, as a priority. And then we started talking about productivity as a big problem, and then the, the, the debt and the monetary issue became a hot mm-hmm. topic mm-hmm. now you're right everything is forgotten and we are talking about migration but this brings me exactly to two issues which is uh, Trump and Brexit <laughs> because uh, you said yes we are no longer not only inequality is no longer a priority but we are going backwards for example Trump is trying to dismantle the Obama healthcare plan mm-hmm. which is a, mm-hmm. a, a, a big step towards e- equality and also is uh, trying to uh, go back in the regulation of the financial industry in the United States and giving, giving again more power and more freedom to the financial institutions. So we are going back 10-15 years if it's successful but probably it will not be. And the same is happening with Brexit because leaving the European Union probably would, would work for them for the British, the British industries only if they are able to challenge some of the European regulation. And the European regulation I, I can challenge you on this has created the best environment in the world with respect to environmental, social, occupational and uh, consumer regulation. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to fight against the European Union or become a champion in trade worldwide, you need to decrease your, your standards. Yeah, Andrea, you raised two hot issues, two, two important questions, uh, which of course are not analyzed in my book, but of course uh, it, uh, it, it need, they need to be addressed. Uh, probably you are right when you say that, uh, uh, when you say that um, Trump is going back. Uh, um, so Trump used, first of all, the point is the following, I think. Trump used a rhetoric which made uh, appealing, which appealed in particular the poor, the income, uh, the middle class, the people who, who were experiencing such a reduction of, uh, of wage share. But now what he's going or is planning to do is uh, would, would worsening the situation of these very same people that uh, they, they, they voted. You mentioned, of course, uh, the Obama uh, medical care. Uh, you mentioned the, the Frank Dot Act regulation introduced in 2010 by Obama, which, of course, uh, better than what it was before. And if we are going back to, uh, to, what, to before the Frank Dot Act, Frank Dot Act, which was not the best, but still was something. And if we are going before the the Obamacare, which was not the best, but still was something. Of course, uh, uh, it is uh, it is uh, worsening the income distribution and non uh, and non increasing. Similar with UK with the Brexit. Uh, I did not. Uh, I mean, many many people are. Uh, put the issue of the Brexit on commercial issue, uh, put the, the reason, try to explain the reason of, uh, of Brexit from a commercial point of view. The, the, but be frank, yeah? uh, UK was in a wonderful position in Europe. Uh, it was not part of the Eurozone, which probably would be the one which make more constraint to member states was uh, 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 part of a, a, a free trade which 
where it aimed always to be. Remember that UK always in the 60s aimed to be member of, and the, uh, of the Eurozone. And the, goal, and the goal twice say no, because uh, he knows probably, he knew probably the, 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 the ambiguous position of UK as far as uh, agreement with uh, Europe was concerned. So in, in, uh, when, when finally they entered, uh, having, uh, having uh, UK now uh, no uh, manufacturing any longer, they will not lose anything. Basically, having mostly financial industry, uh, which is more, more competitive, more efficient than any other country in Europe, they will just win in the free trade zone. So in the European Union, UK will just win, I think, uh, from, from, this from this perspective, from the perspective of financial capitalism model. Yeah? Of course, they will not win, uh, probably will not be people, people of UK will, without, outside of the financial sector are not winning, of course, because uh, in, two, uh, in, in this country, I think that there, there was a strong um, reduction of wage share of people outside of the, of, the, of the financial sector. Financial sector compensation increased everywhere. And in particular in the country which have most of this financial sector, meaning UK and US. But UK and US have as well other people not working in the financial sector. And these people are losing. So on these people, The, the probably the rhetoric was very uh, the rhetoric of the blacks was very functional so they for a very wrong reason associated the, the decline of the industrial sector in UK to the Brexit for some reason which is not uh, which is not uh, grounded which is not uh, to the uh, European Union you mean. to the European Union sorry which is not of course justified because uh, there is no link between the two it was a matter of choices in the 70s and the 80s by government in UK and first and notably by Margaret Thatcher yeah the industrialization, I mean. And this affected negatively the people in the north, the people outside of London, the people outside of the financial sector. These people today are, were ready for some reason, probably this has to do with migration again, they associated yeah. European migration to European Union, uh, they associated to that the, the loss of uh, income that they experienced. But this has nothing to do, probably, has nothing to do with, uh, with the European Union with, uh, and with uh, the, 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 the single market of which uh, UK was part. So this was a declaration, but my point was that uh, I would like you to measure what happens to the British uh, to measure? economy, to measure what will happen in, in Britain after they leave the European Union in terms of inequality. And by the way, if they ever manage to leave the European Union, because at the moment <laughs> uh, it seems a very difficult challenge. Uh, okay, I think, uh, I think um, probably we've discussed uh, about a lot and uh, it seems a very interesting conversation. I hope our listeners have enjoyed it. Thank you very much for being here, Pasquale. Thank you very much, Antonio. Thank you. Now we move to my university and we go to repeat the show <laughs> with a seminar in front of my students and my colleagues. And so thank you very much twice for being here in Oxford and for being a host of New Books in thank Economics. You. Thank you.